The following conversation with Deschutes County District Attorney John Hummel and Adam Foss, Executive Director of Prosecutor Impact, aired on October 25th, 2019 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. John Hummel was elected to Shoots County District Attorney back in 2014. He actually defeated an incumbent, Patrick Flaherty, and he ran unopposed in 2018 and was reelected to a second four-year term. Before running for DA, John was the state and federal policy director for the Oregon Primary Care Association, which is a nonprofit organization comprised of some 200 Oregon health care clinics. So they provide care primarily to Oregonians with low incomes. John has 24 years of legal policy and conflicts, conflict resolution experience. He worked uh, as a uh, he worked as the Liberia African Country Representative for the Carter Center, which was formed uh, by, organized by uh, former President Jimmy Carter and his Peace and Health Organization. John led the Carter Center's effort to assist Liberians to improve their justice and mental health systems with an overarching aim of achieving peace and prosperity for a country that is still recovering from a brutal 14-year civil war. John also served on the Bend City Council from 2001 to 2006. And I should add that, uh, as an aside, that uh, uh, in between John, uh, his uh, service on the Bend City Council and when he went, and then he was uh, had a little, some private practice uh, law firm here. When he left, uh, left to Liberia, he donated to KPOV a, a table. In the lobby, I see you still have it. Yes, it's our board table. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to have a really unbelievably bad and grueling board meeting last night if it weren't for that table. <laughs> glad to, glad to have helped. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, anyway, I digress. Adam Foss is executive director of a nonprofit organization called Prosecutor Impact. Uh, he's a former assistant district attorney in the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office in Boston, Massachusetts. Now living in Los Angeles. Prosecutor Impact was founded in 2016 with the mission of improving community safety through a better understanding of the most important actor in the criminal justice system, that is, the criminal prosecutor. The vision at Prosecutor Impact is to provide prosecutors with the tools, data, and training to make compassionate, fair, and informed decisions that demonstrate a commitment to the safety of the public, the well-being of the victim, as well as the betterment of the person charged with the crime. Adam is a fierce advocate for criminal justice reform and the importance of the role of the prosecutor in ending mass incarceration. He believes that the profession of prosecution is ripe for reinvention, requiring better incentives and more measurable metrics for success beyond simply cases won. I've known John for a number of years, and I had the opportunity to meet and hear Adam speak when he visited uh, Bend uh, and the district attorney's office back in April, I believe it was. So welcome, John and Adam, to uh, the Radical Songbook in KPOV. Thanks for having me. Good yeah, to be back. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So step right up to the mic. I'll, uh, if you, as you see, if you can see these dials back here, you, gotcha. can, you can get a sense of how things are going there on your voice. So, um, Anyway, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, and, John, you invited Adam uh, to Bend last spring and again this past week to work with the staff in the district attorney's office. 
you and I have had conversations in the past, and these are this is going to be my this is sort of my term, I guess. But it, you know, what we've talked about is the idea of um, the culture of a district attorney's office, if you will. Um, so, can you talk a bit about um, what you want to do, what your what you and Adam together are, want to accomplish in the DA's office, and uh, yeah, just give us an idea of what the background is for this. Sure. Um, when I was elected in 2014. The residents of Deschutes County wanted me to be a leader for community safety. Of course they did. They should want every district attorney to be a leader for community safety. To keep a community safe, you sometimes have to prosecute people, murderers, rapists, child sex abusers. They need to be prosecuted, held accountable, and uh, and, and kept separate from society so they don't reoffend. There, There's a, a place for jail. There's a place for prosecution. But if, if all we focused on was putting the most dangerous people away, we've made our community more dangerous because we have not focused on preventing preventable crimes. If I sit back as a prosecutor, you know, in my suit, in my nice, you know, office and say, hmm, my role is to prosecute offenders after they've committed a crime. What have I done in essence? In essence, I've said, I'm going to allow all those crimes to be committed. And that's irresponsible. We need to be better as prosecutors in working with community organizations, working with our law enforcement partners to develop programs to prevent crime in the first place. To ask any victim of crime, if they have two choices, here are the two choices. Would you rather, ma'am, would you rather have been brutally um, assaulted by your, your former boyfriend, and then you had a, a prosecutor who aggressively prosecuted it, that person and put him away for a long jail sentence? Or would you have rathered the prosecutor worked with community organizations to prevent that crime from having happened in the first place? Well, we obviously know what her answer would be, but too few prosecutors actually seek to do what that potential victim of crime wants them to do, and that's to prevent crime. Now, it's not in our culture. It's not in our DNA. We went to law school to learn how to prosecute cases. And, you know, people who want to be social workers go to uh, programs to learn how to be a social worker. But I, I tell you this, when I was elected and took that oath, I took it very seriously. And that oath to me meant I'm going to serve with integrity. I'm going to ensure justice is done. And I'm going to do everything in my power to keep my community safe. And so, um, how do we do that? Again, I, I'm candid. I'm not a social worker. I'm a prosecutor, right? Um, but so I looked to professionals. I, I asked around. I got referred to people, and uh, all all arrows pointed to Adam Foss and, and Prosecutor Impact. So I invited Adam to come out and, and meet with our office a few months ago. Um, he did. I was very gracious. Thank you, Adam, for that. We had a good conversations. We gathered information from community members. We did an assessment in the office. And based on that, Adam and his team and I agreed that, um, yeah, um, there, there's work to be done. But one, we, we got a pretty good foundation, but, but we could do better on uh, crime prevention. We could do better on keeping our community safe. So Adam and his team came back. And this whole week, Prosecutor Impact has been working with the uh, prosecutors, victims, advocates, and administrative staff in my office talking about uh, how to take a good office and, and make it even better.
So one of the things that we've talked about here on, on the radio before with you is that you were already, before you connected with Adam, you were already reaching out to social organizations, various nonprofits and organizations in the community to try and build, a, a, forge new relationships with the district attorney's office. Well, that's right. Uh, we, we rolled out a program uh, about one year into my administration, the Clean Slave Program. It's a new way to handle drug prosecutions uh, when someone is uh, a suspect in possessing a small amount of drugs, rather than prosecuting them, saddling them with a conviction that's going to make it harder to get a job and employment, which will make it harder to succeed in recovery, which will make it more likely you'll reoffend. We get them referred to a primary care provider who will then uh, get them the help they need. We've seen great success with that program. We've had uh, over 200 people go through that program. The recidivism rate for people who go to a primary care doctor as opposed to a judge is significantly lower keeps our community safer, makes those people healthier, resulting in healthier families, resulting in not just less drug crimes, less uh, other crimes as well. So absolutely, you know, we, uh, we looked at Adam and his team to, uh, you know, build on the foundation that we are already have, but we've been working on these types of things for the last uh, five years. Yeah, it would seem to me that or- that kind of organization would also just help individuals, um, in terms of in the idea of relapse, even just like, you know, in terms of staying clean, let alone staying uh, crime free at the same time. Well, one of the uh, sessions we uh, had this week was with a, uh, a doctor who has a, an expertise in, in addiction. And what she helped us understand, I mean, we we all know everyone in my office knew most of this or, or snippets of this or a little bit of this. But when you get a whole week of a retreat, you get to get um much deeper than just scratching the surface. And she really helped us understand that when you're looking at uh, addiction treatment programs, you need to go to somebody who who truly understands what uh, addiction treatment programs should be. And and that is an understanding of relapse is often or almost always a part of recovery. And so you want your addiction professional giving the person, giving their client the tools necessary to respond uh, positively to relapse because you know some people in recovery when they relapse then they just go completely off the deep end because they feel like they are personally a failure so giving people tools um, when they take a step back giving them the tools to then be able to take two steps forward as opposed to when you take one step back then you take 10 steps back so it's it's those are the type of conversations we're having this week yeah yeah i mean yeah i can speak to that uh, personally actually um so adam how did you and john connect how did this how did you come together yeah john reached out um by email and uh we there's a bit of back and forth he was dogged in his pursuit um <laughs> uh we are sort of situationally all over the, the country do, working on uh with amazing offices all over the country and um, when the opportunity to come to Bend, Oregon, uh, hit our desks, um, it was it was a community that obviously I hadn't thought of as like one of the places that I wanted to go. Um, now that I've been here, this is my fourth trip to Bend in the oh, last really um, year since I I met John. Um, it's a place that I'm having a hard time leaving. So um, just meeting John's team and seeing people who. Uh, are doing the job that I did in Boston in a community, uh, you know, a world apart from Boston, uh, but still seeing sort of some of the same trials and tribulations, wants and desires coming up. It was really um, inspirational to me to come back and keep working with John and his team. So when you say that Bend wasn't necessarily the kind of the, a community that you would have 
that would have necessarily been on your radar screen. You were, uh, is that because of the size or the location or demographics? What are, where, where else have you done work? I guess would be my question. Yeah. So when I first started the organization, my mind was to go to the places where there was just a lot of volume. So we started, um, Formally and informally in, in a couple jurisdictions that were sort of the biggest in the country, Chicago, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Manhattan. Um, but as we sort of started to branch out, we could see that the impact that we could make in places that had um, smaller offices with lots of really good people uh, was actually a greater opportunity for us and in, in our team. Uh, so we started branching out to places like Columbus, Ohio, Rapids Parish, Louisiana, um, Boulder, Colorado, Deschutes. I'm just really thinking intentionally about where are the places that are ready to not just have a training, but to to adopt this as part of um, the culture that's already that already exists there. How do we how do we empower people that already want to do this work? And uh, Deschutes just was a perfect fit for that. And you basically you don't just barge into a community; you're invited yeah to the community i mean that's an important consideration yeah. It, yeah. yeah you know we wouldn't we wouldn't work that well if we were just a bunch of know-it-alls like kicking in the doors and coming in and saying here's what you're doing wrong i've never been here but let me tell you <laughs> yeah, yeah. what to do yeah. um, well there there's, there are people to do that yes i think that's the way to go yeah you know? uh, so yeah so i know that john formally invited you here and john my recollection is that you had you had heard about Adam from, if I recall right, from some other district attorneys, either here in Oregon or elsewhere in the country. Well, I was at a meeting at the uh, Institute for Innovation in Prosecution at uh, John Jay College in New York and uh, was talking to colleagues there about whether they have worked on kind of culture change in their office, whether they've looked at this kind of new paradigm of trying to prevent crime rather than just waiting for crime to happen and, and prosecute your way out of it. And um, everyone shared that it's it's a challenge. It, it's something that they're considering. And that they all pointed me to Adam and, and prosecutor impact. So based on those recommendations, I, of course, did my own due diligence and kicked the tires and, and checked out Adam and the organization. And uh, it was clear to me that was the place to go. And so then I, I reached out to Adam. And so, Adam, can you uh, amplify a bit on um, on what the, mis- the mission and vision of prosecutor, what the mission of prosecutor impact is, and kind of, um, I guess, talk about? You've been here f- working with people for all five days this week, correct? Uh, kind of give us a sense of how you approach this work. Sure. Um, when I think about the job of a prosecutor. Uh, having been one for for nearly a decade what strikes me about this job that is unlike any other is the the effect that we can have on a person's life within a a, a second like a a really quick decision we're constantly being made to uh, forced to, to answer questions and make decisions about people's lives that have have dramatic and life altering and sometimes irreparably life altering effects and there aren't that many professions out there that that have that sort of uh, exercise and discretion and immediate effect on someone's life and when you think about the the kind of professions that do um you're led to either professions that involve the use of a, a weapon or something like that the medical industry and when you think about those um industries you think about the amount of time and attention and education and training and, and ongoing support that they give to their staff because of the impact and the effect of of those decisions and in those industries um particularly in the in the medical field 
we have been since its inception testing and improving and and funding research to make sure that we're doing the best job that we can and when mistakes are happening we're moving rapidly to solve that and and create a better system for our workers and unfortunately that just never happened in the criminal justice system the way that we ask young prosecutors or, or prosecutors to to prosecute cases today is the same way that we ask them to prosecute cases at the inception of of the uh, of the profession and while we have uh indeed uh, created technology that allows us to try cases better and we've infused some of our trial practice work with um, some other disciplines we have yet to give uh, the people who are standing on the front lines the tools the information and the technology to deal with uh, the the 90 something percent of cases that don't go to trial and so really like honoring the people who choose to do this work not because of the pay but because it's part of our core value honoring that sacrifice that they make to take this job and giving them the tools that are commensurate with that amount of responsibility and discretion. And you come at this um, not from the outside, but from the inside. I mean, you were a prosecutor for, what, 10 years? Uh, nine, nine and some change. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So as a prosecutor, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that perhaps you started thinking about your job one way and over time it changed. Can you talk a little about what your evolution was that led you to where you are now? I was actually really, really lucky in that um, I I came in, I went to law school, uh, or during law school, I thought that my way to um, contribute to the criminal justice system and to solve what, what at the time wasn't really called anything, mass incarceration wasn't really in the lexicon, right. um, but ultimately a, a couple years after uh, I left law school, Michelle Alexander uh, published her book, The New Jim Crow, which sort of put it in the mainstream ether. Um, I thought my contribution was going to be a, pu be a public defender. And then I had the fortune of meeting some great prosecutors while I was still in law school. And they talked to me about the power that you have here. And I, and I witnessed it on my own. And so I went into the DA's office with a mindset that we should be using this power for something different. Unfortunately, I didn't have at the time, the aptitude about like, what exactly does that mean? What do I, what am I going to need to, to make this change? And so for, for example, that, that I'll use, I, I spent a tremendous amount of money on law school. Uh, I spent a, an, an incredible amount of time in law school studying and taking exams. And there was a word that I never learned about, learned about the concept, learned about what it meant, um, learned about how it would have ultimately affect my environment uh, at any point during law school. And I look back and I think about like, man, how, how do, how did you give me a degree and tell me that I could go be a prosecutor without ever, ever once teach me about the word trauma? How did you ever once allow me to take this massive weapon of my discretion, and my responsibility into a community that was immersed in poverty and harm and crime and never once talked to me about the confluence of poverty and violence and crime? How do you, how do you never once give me the tools to understand um, the cycle of addiction or the cycle of domestic violence and the cycle of, of mental health and trauma and, and, and co-occurring disorders. And then you ask me to go in this community and do a good job. Uh, and so that's really where the evolution for me started was just thinking to myself, like, what would I need? But where it really sort of took hold was then I just started asking people, the people who were around me being impacted, survivors of crime that were coming into our front door and hanging up the phone or saying, I don't want to come here anymore. Just taking the opportunity to ask them, like, what can we do better? Asking people who are 
cycling through the system like what are we what are we missing here and really ask over the course of that nine years asking thousands of people that question and ultimately coming up with what we built into this curriculum which fundamentally fell into uh, the categories of just how do we uh, show people we how do we treat them with dignity every single day in this place that really can suck it out of you and how do we see people as whole human beings particularly people when they aren't uh nice to us when we when we're sort of offering our services that, that must have somewhat put you at odds with many with people not only that you might that you were working with directly but with just sort of the general idea of being a prosecutor it put, it put me at odds with uh, some. Um, it was a messaging issue for me. Uh, you know, here I was thinking I was being all radical. And actually, like, this is what we want to do. We're, we're about safety. We're about justice. We want victims to feel safe and, and healed. We want people who commit crimes to be held accountable, but also be uh, productive members of society on the back end of that. We, we all want those things. Uh, the problem is that we're not given the tools or the language to get people there. And so I was, I was uh, less at odds with the people and continue to be um, surprised and, and inspired by how open people are to quote unquote reform, which has sort of been co-opted as like a political um, position to take. The opposition from the public is under, is understandable because it's just the way that we've all been conditioned to think right. about crime and punishment. Uh, you know, you, you spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, people need to be held accountable. This is the only country in the, on the planet that sentences people to to prison for multiple, multiple decades. And so we've been conditioned in this environment growing up. And so while the public, um, while the public uh, that sort of like is less impacted by the criminal justice system. Uh, might have some oppositions to some of the concepts. What we found was the people who are most impacted by the criminal justice system, the people who's, who are being victimized multiple times and the people who are offending multiple times are coming from the same communities. And uh, seven out of 10 of those people are saying, please do something different. Spend less time focusing on long prison sentences and more time on resolving community problems before they get larger. Uh, spend more of your time on, on empathy and, 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 and healing than retribution and vengeance. And when we can start unpacking those things and, and giving people who typically are disengaged from the criminal justice system, the victims that we aren't serving, more of a platform, then we can have a broader conversation about what safety and justice mean. All right. I want to ask you, John, to respond to that. But first, I just want to remind our listeners, uh, while you're hearing, that was Adam Foss, who's from Prosecutor Impact. And he's here in the studio with me here at KPOV with John Hummel, who's the Deschutes County District Attorney. And we're talking about the work that the two of them are doing, um, the ongoing work that they're doing in the pro in the uh, district attorney's office. But can you, uh, from your perspective, so in terms of what Adam was just talking about, what do you see in your office and in the, in the community that gives you hope for moving forward on this kind of thing? I have hope every day in my work. Um, we, uh, the sheriff joined us. Sheriff Nelson joined us at the training earlier this week to talk about. You know the innovations that are being embraced by he and his deputies, and and, and that this is a really interesting point. Um, too often, I think, um, you know, kind of the, the stereotype is that maybe police are kind of uh, far behind, not so innovative. Um, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Police uh, beat prosecutors to innovation in criminal justice, uh, you know, many decades ago when they started a community policing. And Sheriff Nelson talked uh, with us about how his office is constantly improving and always looking to uh, prevent crime. And so it's the prosecutors 
who have been lagging on this. And so uh, I have hope when I see that uh, police are leading in, in this effort locally. Chief uh, Porter and the Bend Police Department, the work they've done on their mental health crisis teams is inspiring to me. And, you know, they have uh, trained uh, mental health professionals who are going out on many calls rather than having uh, police officers go out. Um, The Board of County Commissioners in Deschutes County in creating a crisis stabilization center that's going to result in law enforcement officers taking people in a mental health crisis to mental health professionals as opposed to jail. And so uh, what gives me hope is that I've finally gotten on board, right? We've got all these community members who are screaming out for crime prevention, for a more humane way to keep our communities safe. And it's been uh, the district attorney's office that's been lagging on that. So we've uh, finally, uh, finally are catching up. We're not there yet. I hope in a few years we'll be where the police are now. But um, we're working hard every day with our community partners to figure out the best way to keep our community safe. Now, I said I hope we get there. You'll never get there because you're always learning more. Your community is always changing and evolving. But the idea is you need to continually work to improve yourself, to meet the needs of your uh, community. And so that's what uh, this work is about, but that's what our last five years of work has been about in the DA's office. So I'm very optimistic. So how is this, and I don't don't know how much you want to talk about what you're actually doing, and I'll leave that up to you to, you know, know, I I don't want you to like, you know, go someplace that might be uncomfortable for anybody in the district attorney's office listening or anything like that. But can you just give us a sense of, you know, how it's going? How are, how is the staff, your staff responding to it? What, how do you, how do you feel about what's going on? How do you feel, Adam, about the progress that you feel you're, you're, that if you're, you know, what kind of progress you're making with staff here and just kind of give us a sense of what, what you're doing, I guess. Sure. Well, I can tell you, um, my team's fully embracing this it's you always go into these trainings with with a little trepidation right you're like hmm what what's this going to be all about um you know the boss da hummel likes it great of course i'm going to do it (laughs) he told me to go to this training but what's this uh group from you know outside of the state coming in and it's a week and i've got a lot of cases and um but of course i'm going to go with an open mind and then you just have seen the shift that people are um embracing the process of learning about the people that we prosecute and the the survivors of crime you know who we deal with every day and then it is kind of nuts when you think about it adam touched on this earlier you start your first day as a da and you're given a hundred cases and to keep up to not drown you have to spend every minute of your day Focusing on the nuts and bolts of that case. What time's the court hearing? What's the deadline to file this motion? What is the general sentence that we give in this case? What does the judge expect me to do? The opportunity to sit back and say, how did this person end up here, this this offender? How did they end up here? What does this victim in this case need to be happy and successful? What do her children need to thrive so they don't end up in the criminal justice system? We never sit back to think about that, at least not as much as we should. So this gives us a week to talk about and think about these weighty issues, which are the most important parts of the criminal justice system and the things we talk about the least. So you've seen, uh, I've seen and heard members of my team 
are embracing it. They're asking questions. They're supporting their colleagues. They're um, asking you know, h- how they can help. They're offering, hey, well, actually, you know, have you considered this? Or that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about it that way. It's, a, it's inspiring. I mean, as a, I, I represent 200,000 people of Deschutes County, and of course I take that seriously, you know, but I represent on a daily basis the 70 people in my office, and I want them to be happy, healthy, and thrive in their work, and to see um, how they've responded to this training and, and, and to know how it's going to help them do their jobs better and be happier, um, it, 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 it makes me feel good. And Adam, what how, how do you see how, how's it been going for you? What, what's your what, just what's your feeling about how how it's been going and and what and give us give people just a, a little bit of a sense of what exactly the trainings are about? I guess sure. So um, I think it's important to to state that uh, John was the ambassador and he brought us in. This training ultimately is for the people who are doing the work right now as we speak. Um, the work that they are doing. Um, separate and apart from the work that the, the, the taxpayers are paying them for, which causes a amount, amount of stress and anxiety that not being at court right now, I understand and, and want to uh, honor and, and pay respect to those people for doing this very, very hard work. Um, what, uh, what I've experienced, I, I can tell you that uh, as an organization, and I, and I appreciate you sort of like giving this caveat, as an organization, we are not... Um, we're not in the business of sort of like airing what we are actually doing in the space um, because we require sort of an environment of, of trust and understanding. And so um, to, to, to the extent that, that um, I do tell you sort of like what we're doing, just understand this is very broad strokes. Um, all we're doing is equipping them with the tools that they are craving to get where everybody wants to go. Um, this isn't, um, a way to wrench people into following behind some some agenda that that John has or that any of the leadership has, but really uh, the values that we all espouse about safety and justice. And we do that not by, uh, again, sort of like something I had to learn as a new business owner. It, it's not enough to go stand in front of a screen in, in front of a crowd with a PowerPoint and say, "Learn this and then go do it." Um, it has to be co-designed. It has to be responsive to the different perspectives that people bring. And so uh, our trainings are, are basically uh, sort of three, three, three pillars. One is uh, can we provide to you information about concepts that will help you do your job? And so, again, thinking back to what, what if I learn a bit more about mental health and how mental health and the criminal justice system work or how they don't so that next time I'm making a decision about those things and I, and I, and I have a little bit better idea of, of mental health, how might my decision making uh, lead to a better outcome, not just for the person who's being accused, but also for the survivor and for the community writ large. The second sort of pillar that we focus on, and this is the core, is uh, to John's point, because of this constant onslaught of work and cases and paperwork, we rarely have the time to take a step back and and, uh, do what the private sector does, is which, like, let's ask our end users, are they having a good experience here? Let's learn from them what they need. Um, Law school is is abysmal at at giving us the tools that we need to to do these sorts of things and to talk to us about what survivors of crime are looking for. What does it take to get someone uh, who's struggling with addiction on the road to recovery? And what does relapse mean about that road to recovery? Um, And so really uh, immersing people in those experiences by bringing – 
bringing those folks to the training space, formerly incarcerated people, survivors, community-based organizations that are providing these services, but also to the extent possible, bringing the prosecutors out of uh, our space, out of the courtrooms, and sending them to those community-based organizations, sending them to those places that, that folks who are coming into the criminal justice system live and work um, so that they can feel that in their bones and get a better understanding of it. And then the last thing that's sort of uh, wrapped all around the training is just um, building community inside the office. And so uh, in sort of like the 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 uh, nitty-gritty and, and sort of like the, the processing of our jobs, uh, it's very easy to sort of like get into our teams and our groups and our silos and not really think about what's the what's the North Star for the office. And so built into the training is always just like how to find ways to support each other and build community. Um, and I ha- and I have to say that I've I continue to be impressed by um, the prosecutors here. I- I've known it since the jump, since I met them, but uh, continue to be impressed by their their willingness to think more broadly and globally about our role as a prosecutor and how we can get to those objectives. And and how how do you how do you deal with? I mean, like you've talked about, they have a they have a big pile of work already, right? And so how do you how do you integrate this work into their regular their workday lives uh, in a way that doesn't so that they don't end up working like you know I, I suspect many of them work long hours anyway beyond their but how, how do you deal with that so so for us uh, fr- from my mind that is an issue of, of two things one is uh, the system recognizing that when we're talking about not having the time when we're talking about uh, sacrificing training and uh, connection to community and building community trust and building community inside of office, the the sacrifice of that time is far outweighed by the sacrifice of what you're not getting by doing those things. So just from a system level, um, the judiciary, uh, the, the, the people who, who make all of this run, uh, just as a, as a system, we need to recognize that while it will cost, while it will cause a lot of headaches and, and heartache, the benefit that we get from that will be great. And the private sector, like I said, knows this and, and does it. The medical industry knows this and does it. Uh, what the challenge is to John and his leadership team is building pipelines within the office to create that space. So thinking about ways to reduce case volume, thinking about ways to staff so that we can have not maybe not the whole office together, but but teams of at a time um, getting more immersed into continuing education uh, and training and giving them the opportunity to become trainers, uh, making uh, making policies and, and the programs that are ideas uh, impl- implemented and, and, and following through, seeing it the whole way through and, and bringing these prosecutors into all of that process so that they feel empowered and that they feel like they're less cogs in the wheel and more, uh, more of a part of a greater solution. And that's, that's an ongoing process as you've alluded to and, and, and essentially kind of a, I mean, there is no end line goal. There is no point where you say, Mission accomplished. It's an ongoing process for you in the DA's office. That's right. We always have to be looking at our operations, looking at the cases we prosecute, looking at the cases uh, we don't prosecute, looking at outcomes, looking at efficiencies, looking at uh, the the end user. Do vi- are do victims feel well served? Are we treating uh, suspects uh, fairly? Uh, are we working with the judiciary to make things as efficient as possible? Are we partnering with law enforcement agencies in the most effective way? And so, right, it's it's not an end goal. It's a commitment to revamp your operations, to always be infusing what we're learning this week throughout our day-to-day. 
and um, we're we're getting there. We're, we're not there yet, but even when we get there, as you suggested and I said previously, you, you don't spike the football and declare victory because it's going to change the next day. Right. And if I can just yeah, yeah please hop yeah. in on the, on the the time piece uh, again, um, the the prosecutors who are who are who are sitting in training right now and, and working. Um, want to be doing this and they're already working a ton of a ton of hours a ton of time and bring this home with them and like how do we also talk about the the impact that this is having on their lives and, and infusing wellness into this because the last thing that i want to do is heap more stress onto people who are already stressed out to the max a lot of this conversation around time is actually about like time management and, and stress management um and and that really is fundamentally important to us as, as an organization uh, as well I'm here in the studio with John Hummel, District Attorney for Deschutes County, and Adam Foss, who is the Executive Director of uh, Prosecutor Impact. And Adam has been in – you said you've been in town. This is your fourth visit. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, all direct, I mean, you've worked with John each of those times, or did, or did you come and just kind of play around for an any time? Uh, <laughs> playing, ar- playing around is not a luxury I have at this point uh, okay. in, in the business, but um, – have come back and met with John, met with the team, but also have just spent time uh, visiting community-based organizations and connecting there so that um, this is all about bringing local closer together, building that community. And so part of our job uh, is a lot of pre-work and meeting those folks and finding out who are the, who are the actors that are, are, are making the time run here. And Adam, you wanted to add a, a little bit additional to what we were talking about in terms of time? Yeah. It, uh, I don't want to lose the, 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 the trees through the forest uh, because – we run into this obstacle all the time, which is like, I don't have, I don't have time to do this. Like I don't have time to get to know this person from, from soup to nuts to understand, to make all the right decisions. And I hear that. And I want to push us to a place uh, that the system will accommodate for that because it's just better for all of us. Um, But what I don't want to lose is uh, sort of the comment or the comments that uh, those thousands of people that I asked uh, made, which is uh, the things that they want most are, to see me as a whole human being and to treat me with dignity. And uh, a lot of what we talk about in our training is uh, while we want to shoot for these ambitious goals of creating systems and practices that have better outcomes, um, the simple act of saying hello to a person in the hallway that's having a hard time or asking a family member of someone who's in the courthouse, hey, uh, I see you have a young person with you. What are they doing for the summer? I I have a great uh, referral to a, a, a summer program that they can be a part of. Um, just taking the opportunities that um, nobody can really dictate its time because they just come up really organically and, and, and naturally using that time to just do a little bit of those things, seeing someone as a whole human being and treating them with dignity. And I know that it sounds ethereal and, and trite, but I can't tell you how many times the experience of having someone who has been treated one way by the system can radically be altered, their mindset can radically be altered by just having taking the two seconds to see them as a whole human being and saying, is there something that I can help you with? And so that's that's really fundamentally what, what uh, is coming across in our training. Well, that, that gets me to a point when I, when I heard you speak in, in April, uh, John, uh, just for our listeners' sake, John invited a number of uh, elected official judges, uh, all, all kind, and community activists and stuff to uh, kind of a meet and greet with Adam, who did a presentation for us. And um, one of the things that I mean, you you talked, uh, you, you you've kind of had uh, some examples, I guess I would say. I, I don't. Or, or can you can you talk about when you what you just spoke about about 
you know, be it, you know, do it, helping someone in that regard. Can you give us some examples of some um, instances that you faced with somebody who was being prosecuted and, and how you were able to interact with them that possibly might have changed things for them? Sure. Am I, am I making my point? Absol- absolutely. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, uh, I met I met David when he was 19 years old and he was he was um, dealing crack cocaine and David had, David was someone who had been in the system for a really really long time he had been through several times and so this uh, particular arrest um, was the one that was about to send him to the House of Correction or maybe in state prison and I had the opportunity to meet him in the hallway uh, I was working with um, a judge and, and a bunch of other really really great people back in the Roxbury Court in Boston. Um, and we just asked him what he needed, and he said, "I need a, I need a job. Like that's why I'm doing this." And so we he was dealing because he needed money, correct? And and uh, not to buy cars and 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 houses, but to buy food and and take care of uh, a child that he had, and take care of his his um, the the mother of that child. Um, and so his his perceived uh, most effic- efficient, effective way to do that was to deal drugs and. Uh, obviously, we don't want him doing that in the community. Um, so the options were send David to jail and see what we get out in 18 months from now or two years from now or do something different with David today. And that was to uh, get David connected to services that would get him job ready. Uh, worked with David in the community, took him. Uh, I actually physically went with him to um, a nonprofit after after hours uh, enrolled with him at this at this nonprofit that does um, job skill development for young people, and then he got accepted, and that was it. We left we left David there at the nonprofit and um, checked in with him a few times a year, um, and over the course of that year, learned that he was doing really really well at the program. I had the opportunity to attend his graduation. At graduation, I got to take a picture with him and his parent, his mom, um, and his little brothers. And just the moment that he graduated from that program and then went on to get a job at the Harvard Business Business School at their IT department, um, you, it's hard to look around as a prosecutor and say, this this isn't a much safer way to deal with the issue of crack cocaine than it would have been to send him to prison. Because in the same year that he would have been sitting in prison, we got him from where he was to putting on a tie and crossing the river and going to Harvard every day for his job. Uh, and then what the sort of the the catalyst of all this is, is that his little brother seeing the success that David had then enrolled in the same program and he had the same experience. And so that is just another young person that we don't have to worry about in the system. It must've been a pretty emotional moment for you. Always is. And it, and it re- continues to pay dividends. Do you want anything to, anything to add, John? Well, I think you know why we've invited Adam and prosecutor impact after hearing that story. Um, we hope to, you know, have a, Anyone we prosecute, we want them to be successful. Um, that's the end game. Now, sometimes they do have to be incarcerated to keep the community safe, but that's not a victory. That's a that's a failed day in our community when we decide the only way to keep our community safe is to lock this person up. Uh, we want more stories like uh, Adam just shared. Well, I want to thank you both. Uh, John Hommel, District Attorney here in Deschutes County. Adam Foss, Executive Director of Prosecutor Impact. Any um, any final words that either of you have, or, were, or are we have we pretty much covered what we need to cover? I just want to thank um, the Deputy District Attorneys and the and the rest of the staff here who are working hard and have have led us into their community, into their world, and for working hard while I know that the work is piling up, and also 
just the community-based organizations who have given us their time and their resources, um, all of the all of the people who have supported us while we're here, and, and John and his leadership leadership team um, uh, for believing in us to to not just be here this week, but we will. Um, we're not done. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that that uh, folks are embracing it. There's a lot more to do. They they want more. They crave more, and we will keep coming back until, as long as John keeps the keeps the light on for us. And so it's a good possibility we'll see Adam back another time. Oh, I think that's right. So thank you, Adam, and your team. And, and I want to thank everyone in my office who works so hard every day to do justice. And and Michael, thanks for having me. Anytime you call me, I'll be back on your show. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you to both of you. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.